0: Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about the elderly in the ER is Dr. Kadisha Rapp. Dr. Rapp is board-certified emergency medicine physician and best-selling author. She has 20-plus years' experience working in urban, suburban, small-town, and freestanding ERs, and she also has treated folks in the entertainment industry in various venues. Her experience has made her passionate about helping others make the best use of the emergency department through her best-selling book, help us help you in the emergency room.
1: Good morning, good morning.
0: Good morning, Dr. Rapp, how are you?
1: Fine. how are you? Doing very
0: good, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Before we get started, for those joining us for the live webinars, if you have any questions, type your questions in, time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get those questions answered. So Dr. Rapp, I'd like to start with, if you could fill us in on the backstory of your best-selling book.
1: So my uh, the story behind it is really the the patients. Uh, over the last 20 plus years, stemming even from my days in med school at the University of Maryland, I've and and you and any uh, person who works in the ER will tell you uh, a a lot of what we hear is um, expressions of frustration. Um, you know, mentions of misunderstandings, miscommunications, misunderstandings, and just unrealistic expectations of the emergency room. And throughout the years, like a a mental list had developed of um, questions and um, complaints and concerns that I just finally chose to address in this book. And I noticed that, um, that those things, Um, The way to address those um, actually uh, could happen in different stages from even before you even really need the emergency department, there are things you can do, all of us can do to make an ER visit uh, a lot smoother and enable us to get more out of an ER visit.
0: Yeah. So, talking about those things that we can do before, Dr. Rapp, um, what should uh, an individual be thinking about when it comes to their home and fall prevention or the things that you've seen in your 20-plus years experience?
1: I would, uh, the things that I've seen, and again, it's the patients, it's the patients who have told me this over the years, the things that they've fallen over. Um, Area rugs that aren't anchored down, that, you know, that aren't uh, set in place with adhesive, of... Floors that don't have, um, you know, like maybe uh, traction strips in key places, you know, like in the bedroom or in doorways or ramps, steps. um, You know, if they don't, people have slipped coming off a step and, you know, and just bumped their way all the way down to the bottom um, when they could have had traction strips at the edge of each step. Um, Clutter in, in doorways. Uh, um, in the bathtub, you know you're relying on the towel rack or the shower rod to steady you, and those things are not meant to hold human weight um you know, so not having the uh the proper rails and you don't have to be elderly i mean it's people of all ages who slip and fall um you know just having the proper railings around the, um, you know, in the tub or around the tub to help you get to and fro, things like that, poor lighting in in certain areas as well. And especially during the holidays where you have uh, family visitors who aren't familiar with the home, um, you know, they're not familiar, so they're more prone to falls also. So things like that.
0: You had mentioned, we were talking off air, Dr. Rapp about, uh, Color coding or something to that degree in your bathtub. Can you talk a little bit about that,
1: please? Yes, indeed. So, most of our bathtubs are white, and sometimes, um, especially as we age, you know, you might not have ever needed glasses in life, but our eyesight changes as we age, and sometimes your depth perception might be off or um, just different aspects of vision, and it really would help if. Um, if one would put the, like, the like brightly colored decals in the bottom of the tub to not only um, uh, clarify where the bottom of the tub is, but to also help prevent slips and falls when getting into or out of the tub. So, um, So it's not just this nebulous, you know, white area that you're stepping into, you can see and whatever it is, stars, starfish, je- jellyfish, whatever your favorite color, um, maybe put a few in the bottom of the tub, you know, or a, a good um, bath mat. But even those bath mats can slip sometimes. No matter how many suction um, uh, things you have on the bottom, those can slip as well. So the decals are really good because they stay put. Gotcha. One of th-
0: move forward on medication. So how organized should somebody be when it comes to getting their, their med- medications in order before they go to the emergency room?
1: Um, yes. Great question, Jason. I think a lot of ER visits could be prevented if um, if we all just had a better grasp of our medications. And um, if you are elderly or in any condition where you need to rely on others, um, one thing, or uh, well, a few things, make a list. Uh, bring that list to doctor's appointments, bring that list to the ER. Have family or you know friends who watch out for you, have that list in their phone. Another thing is um, using the same pharmacy for all of your medications so that if you cannot name them, you know, if we have to, the ER doctor or nurse can call your pharmacy and get that list, get the doses, you know, get the timing and everything. You might not have to remember anything, but if you know that all of your medications are called into CVS, we can get that list. Uh, Another thing is scheduling your refills in advance, especially now during the holiday season, when any day um, your office might start to scale back to their holiday hours. Um, you know, and um, my my even my own primary care doctor's office has a list of policies. Like they say, don't wait until you're down to one or two doses. When, you know, look at each bottle, how many pills do you have left? If you've got five, see about a refill. Um, So schedule your refills in advance. Um, Know what to do if medications are missed. Sometimes people will go to the ER just because they missed a medication or um, a completely unrelated event will complicate an ER visit because they missed a medication before coming to the ER, and that can just delay your leaving that much longer. Um, Learn about the side effects. Ask your prescribing doctor about possible side effects so that you are not alarmed by them and you know how to handle them. It's another way to stay out of the ER unnecessarily. And, you know, just have your family members know about these things. And if there's a new adverse reaction that you've experienced to something, let your family and friends know so they're not alarmed because, you know, based on how much we are dependent on them, they might just take over, you know, their, their concern or anxiety might take over. Um, Take over and you're telling them. No, it's fine. It's not that bad They said this would happen. They're still gonna be like, oh, well, I just want you to get checked out anyway And and that's that could be a four six eight hour um, Visit to the ER just because of their concerns I've had a number of elderly people who are very sharp very clear who will say oh They just brought me in here because they were scared and I tried to tell them um this because their family and friends were not aware beforehand.
0: Yeah. I'd like to stay with the family a little bit, Dr. Rapp. So, you know, like you said, keeping your family aware, but I mean, what about things like making sure that they have a ride home on time or, you know, family history when it comes to certain conditions?
1: Definitely, definitely that because um those two things are are crucial because if something happens, say uh, your elderly loved one has a stroke or becomes disoriented or becomes septic and you know they just don't speak at all because they're too weak or dehydrated or something like that, you might be the one that we are relying on for information. Um, and if you know their history and know about complications that they've had, recent hospitalizations, things like that. That can be crucial, especially recent hospitalizations. We can call that doctor from that previous hospitalization. Um, you know, things that might seem critical might be, you know, critical um, as far as vital signs or things like that. That might be this person's baseline if we had only known, because, um, if you had only known you know, that this person's blood pressure normally is, you know, 90 over 60, because they're on, you know, a certain blood pressure medication for their heart failure or something like that. Um, It would just make things so much easier. And then as far as a ride home, a lot of um, elderly folks have been stuck in the ER waiting because they didn't have a ride home, or they'll say my daughter doesn't get off for another six hours. and uh, um, we don't feel comfortable with you going home in a cab. And I know Uber and Lyft is, you know, that's big nowadays. Um, we, we cannot rely on that. We do not let you just go home in an Uber that's still a stranger that could be taking you home. And uh, there have been a sprinkling of stories of, um, you know, inappropriate um, actions taken by such drivers. So we need family or friends for you to get home. And when, so when you're thinking you have to go to the ER, the ER, also think about how you're gonna get home.
0: Yeah. Can you speak to the value, Dr. Rapp, of a first aid kit in the home?
1: Uh, yes, indeed, and that's a um, another thing. So after, after I wrote my book, I um, also came up with a first aid kit that, again, was based on things that brought people to the ER that had they um, possessed the right supplies at home or on the job, um, they might not have needed to come. Or if they still needed to come, they could have greatly stabilized or almost completely treated so that when they did arrive at the ER, their stay was much less, they needed less service, so that could be a uh, a smaller bill. So um, so with my first aid kit, um, I call it the the mobile MD kit, because it's um, it's a kit that I had uh, assembled for myself over the years. I had purchased a number of um, kits from various medical supply stores, and while they might've been good, um, they each lacked a, a critical thing that only an ER doctor might know um, would be. So, say like skin tears, you know, the elderly have very delicate skin. It can be like crepe and they might have a tear that, um, you know, that um, may not um, need stitches or, um, you know, or uh, is bleeding heavily. Um, In my kit, I have um, a a material called uh, bleed cease. If you have, um, and that could help stop bleeding while on the way to the ER or stop it so that you can just go to your primary care doctors or something like that. It greatly decreases the urgency of the situation. Nosebleeds bleeds due to uncontrolled high blood pressure, um, things like that. Um, foreign bodies in the eye, dry eyes, a lot of elderly suffer from dry eyes. I have dry eye drops in there. Um, uh, a number of things, uh, you know, of course, in addition to the band aids and, and antibiotic ointment, things like that, um, allergic reactions, I have Benadryl and hydrocortisone cream and um, a number of other things. And, you know, and, you know, God forbid, uh, worst case scenario, say you're with a loved one and they stop breathing, uh, the kit also does have a CPR face shield. And, um, and um, a a first aid booklet that will show you how to address a myriad of first aid emergencies, including um, uh, how to do CPR. Uh,
0: So obviously this is, the title of it is Mobile MD Kids. So, Do you That's recommend right. that uh, just carry it with you, put it in your car? Uh, where, where, do they have to have one for the car, one for the house? Just a little bit more on uh, how many of these should you have? How, how often should you update it or take a look at it to make sure that nothing is past the expired date?
1: Uh, yeah, excellent question. So, yes, uh, just so you're not um, forgetting to, you know, forgetting to take it with you or forgetting to bring it into the house, it, uh, it's great to have one in the house, in the car, uh, and at your, your place of work. And um, the, all of the components will have expiration dates on them. Uh, uh, the, um, a lot of uh, medical supplies uh, typically will last like a year or you know six months to 18 months um from you know the the day that you get it so um yes when you first get a kit any kit go through it go through the supplies see um when things expire and uh just familiarize yourself with the supplies so that you know should something happen you're not ripping everything out and you know not knowing you know, what exactly you have and how to use the things together. Um, So, uh, that's what I would advise with any kid.
0: Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the role of your primary care doctor for those in our aging population and how often they should be in touch with them as a way to potentially prevent, um, you know, admission to the ER? Uh,
1: Yes, indeed. So, the primary care doctor is called primary for a reason. They are the the first doctor you should see. They are the ones who uh, coordinate your care. They are the ones who should know about all the specialists that you are seeing. They are the ones whose file on you should have all of the results from all of your procedures, from all of your visits to the consultants. And in the ER, I uh, advise everyone, the elderly in particular, please take these lab results and these imaging results to your doctor and discuss them, keep them in the loop. Uh, So that's one reason, uh, or a few reasons why your primary doctor is so important. Another thing is, should you need to go to the ER, if your primary doctor uh, is affiliated with a hospital, it would be great if you could focus on going to that hospital where your primary doctor has privileges. Uh, Those days are, um, uh, it's becoming more and more rare, but your primary doctor might be one of those extraordinary ones who also takes care of their patients should they need admission to the hospital. If not, uh, there will be a hospitalist group of physicians who work as like a liaison between the primary care doctor and the patient. So if that primary care doctor is affiliated with, a particular hospital, those hospitals will say, Oh yes, oh, you're dr. Jones's patient, oh yes, we'll yeah, we'll keep him uh we'll keep him in the loop, he will keep us in the loop he will you know he'll guide our care and we will keep him informed and you know and it'll be a more seamless uh experience as far as your care with more continuity of care yeah. if that primary if you go to that doc that hospital that they're affiliated with.
0: So, Dr. Rapp, if you've got an individual that has some type of an injury at their home, how would you advise somebody whether to drive themselves to the hospital, and what does that look like, or should they call 911 for, you know, potentially an ambulance?
1: And that um, now that's a, a challenging question because... Um, I would have to say that would have to be taken on a case by case basis, but um, just from my experience, people will drive for all kinds of things. Uh, They will drive themselves with stroke-like symptoms, heart attack symptoms, if, you know, symptoms concerning for a heart attack. And if you think you're having a stroke or a heart attack, or you feel like you're about to pass out, and I've had countless people, drive themselves to the ER because they felt like they were about to pass out um call 911 and i know that as an emergency physician you know my bias is that i would love to tell everybody call 911 uh you know if you feel the need to go um but you know if you if you sprained an ankle if you know if you've had no loss of consciousness or you know you witnessed someone who, you know had like a slight fall and they're with it of you know of course possibly you can drive them to the ER but if there's any event where it's chest pain any change in your breathing any changes in your mental status uh, change in the, the use of a limb or a sensation or motion in your face uh, do call 911 uh, tr- try not to worry about the cost um, you typically are not expected to pay for everything up front. A number of the um, these healthcare entities will work out a payment plan with you. But um, your life is worth everything. Do not let um, the cost of an ambulance bill, um, you know, lead you to have a, you know, not make it to the ER just because you're trying to avoid an ambulance ride.
0: Yeah. And Dr. Rappi, you had mentioned something. So if you have somebody with stroke or heart attack, I mean, really time is of the essence, right? I'm sure you've seen it where somebody drove themselves to the emergency room and, you know, that time is ticking, they need to be seen. So take those factors into account.
1: Right. Time is is brain, if it's a stroke, and time is muscle, if it's a heart attack. And if, you know, whether you're in DC or Houston, uh, traffic is bad and these places and more, and you do not want to be stuck at a red light or stuck behind a, a, you know, a car wreck, they say car wreck down here, or a car accident up in D.C., you know, just stuck in a a jam um, just because you didn't take the ambulance. Um, You know, an ambulance, um, you know, at the very least, they can get around those things. They have the authority to, you know, move past those things because that literally can be the difference between, uh, life and death
0: so I'd like to talk a little bit about the emergency room so when somebody shows up and they have some symptoms what is what should they be expecting upon arrival?
1: Uh, you should expect and I, I do put this in my in my book um, it depends on the kinds of symptoms that you're having uh, and you should expect um, um, a different experience based on your symptoms. Uh, if you're having chest pain, uh, weakness, or numbness, feeling like you're about to pass out, uh, you know, of course, you're going to um, be seen as more urgent, and uh, you know, probably be moved to the front of the line. If you're not having such symptoms, but you came, you know, an hour or half an hour before this person who did, expect them to go ahead of you um you know expect that um you may have to wait and if or expect that uh even though, though you did use an ambulance that um your your injury might not have warranted an ambulance ride and they might take you off the ambulance stretcher and put you right into the waiting room because you are not the sickest person in the emergency department um expect to wait Just understand that there are moving parts that you may not be aware of while you drove yourself there with something critical to you. It might not be critical in the eyes of emergency medicine and you might have to wait. And just remember that there are entrances to the ER that you might not, um, that you can't see, that you can't access. And ambulances are coming in the other that other, other uh, entrance with people who are very, very critical, people who are near death, people who are receiving CPR. And like I said before, when something critical comes into the ER, um, everything might come to a halt because it's all hands on deck and the other patients who are not um, near death, like this person is, will just have to wait. So that means the people in the waiting room will have to wait. Yeah.
0: So what do you say to people who choose to use the emergency room as their primary care physician?
1: I would say, and that's, yeah, that's a, a great question. Know that you are shortchanging yourself in the long run. Yes. You may be getting more convenient care, but you are not getting continuity of care. Uh, You you really do benefit from seeing the same physician uh, repeatedly because they get to know you. In the ER, we are trained to um, treat the the acute causes, the emergent causes, the urgent causes, and move on. We cannot um, attend to things that have been going on for months. Um, If you've dealt with it for months, uh, uh, it sounds a little harsh, but we're going to say you can deal with it a few more days. We're not dealing with it today. What happened today that brought you in? And if you say, yeah, but it was this thing. I just got tired of it. I mean, it's been going on for months. That's not going to change it. Um, That's not an emergent condition um, we're not your primary care doctors, even though you you know us all by name, we are still not your primary care doctor, and, um, and any decent um, emergency physician or emergency department is going to provide you with primary care physician contact information so that you can follow up, because sometimes we don't get to the bottom of that pain that you've had for months or that bump that's been there for months. We're, we're not going to get to the bottom of it. We're not going to ultimately find the cost. It's a primary care doctor working with you and sometimes specialists over weeks or months that might get to it. We're just going to keep putting a bandaid on it. We're just going to make sure that you're not going to die from it. Um, and then send you out. Um, so yeah, we are acute care, not primary.
0: So what other factors go come into play Dr. Rapp when it comes to hospital admission?
1: The factors that come into play again—it's a case by case basis. Um, it might come down to um, sometimes it comes down to weather, or oh, it's just like so many moving parts. But um, again, it's you know this condition that you have. Uh, could it kill you today, or tonight, or tomorrow? You know, if it if it goes untreated, then we need to admit you. If it is a life or limb-threatening condition that needs to be treated today, uh, we will admit you. If you are a high-risk um, person, you know, having chest pain, say, and, you know, you have, um, you know, uncontrolled hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, you smoke, you're obese, you had a sister who died of a heart attack in her 50s, you are a high-risk person, we're more likely to admit you. If you have pneumonia um, or COVID and your oxygen levels are low and you do not look like you're, you can handle um, uh, living at a low, you know, at a low oxygen level or something like that, then you will be, you're more likely to be admitted. Elderly people there are certain ER physicians who, say, try to find any reason to admit an elderly person, if you can, because their recovery often takes longer, they're more prone to complications, um, and, um, yeah, and or they're more prone to decompensation or having to return to the hospital. So, um, yeah, those are things that we take into consideration with admission, and sometimes um, it could be, um, you know a matter of uh whether or not you're able to get help or follow up outside of the hospital if you have no one or no way to um you know continue your treatment or monitor your recovery outside of the hospital then uh we'll try to get you admitted for that reason as well yeah and
0: Dr. Abbott, I know we were talking off-air about uh, admission. How sometimes you may have to get—I don't I remember the correct terminology—but you, you you're admitted to one hospital and then you're transported to another hospital. Can you talk a little bit about that? How that might look, so people are aware when it comes to family um, that maybe you end up at another hospital due to the conditions you have.
1: Yes. So not every hospital. Um, has every single specialty available. Uh, One thing that I've seen, um, one thing in particular, one specialty rather, is neurosurgery. So uh, even a large hospital, uh, relatively speaking, might not have neurosurgical services and require transfer from that hospital to a hospital that does have that uh so i've seen instances where one's insurance was an issue hmm. where uh, they might not authorize a stay at uh, or a fund pay for a stay at hospital a but they will pay for a stay at hospital b and you know so it, it you know it behooves you to make every effort to get from hospital a to hospital b or again, back to the primary care physician issue, if your doctor says, come to this hospital, come to hospital B, I have privileges there, I can take care of you, I can coordinate your care here, then um, if you have a specific a doctor saying that, come to hospital B, then hospital A will gladly transfer you to hospital B.
0: Yeah, it just sounds like, you know, much like with anything, it's the continual communication with your primary care um, so that when, you know, uh, dire circumstances come that, you know, there's a lot of people in the know and you're not kind of just out there on an Island.
1: Uh, definitely. And, uh, thank, thank goodness for that. Um, uh, cause I'll, you know, I'll admit as an emergency medicine physician, even, you know, after doing this for 20 years, you know, uh, you know, doctors know they are not God and we know that, you know, we didn't create the human body. We understand it we understand, you know, physicians understand it. We're supposed to understand it more than anybody else, but we did not create the human body. And the human body can behave in ways that even puzzle, you know, or baffle the most seasoned physician. And sometimes we will have to call your primary care doctor and be like, what, what is this? And the primary care doctor be like, oh yeah, she she has this sometimes, you know, it's no big deal. Tell them to come see me, um, you know, or, Uh, if, um, someone, you know, has a, an issue, like say with eye, um, eye issues, ophthalmology is so crucial and it's really not at every hospital. Someone comes in with an eye injury, um, we might have to call any ophthalmologist that we can, uh, who we can find just to get some insight on it. Um, so it it definitely is all about communication. We all need each other and, um, realizing that we need all need each other and we all need communication and knowledge, like that's what helps us provide the best care.
0: Yeah. Excellent stuff, Dr. Rapp. Thank you. So how can people find you?
1: Uh, so folks can find me here at www.drkadishamd.com. You can find out, more about me and my background and the um, products and services i offer Um, again just like um, this book help us help you this um, discusses um, a lot of what we um, talked about here in more and just other ways that um, all of us can be better prepared for an er visit Um, and i also have you know information on uh, the mobile md kit my first aid kit there. But um, yeah, you can definitely find out more about me at DrKadishaMD.com.
0: Excellent. So as far as knowledgeable aging, I recommend going to our YouTube page. We update that, I try to do it about four to five times a week. So I ask you to subscribe. Um, also, if you are a podcast listener, uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Tunes. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.